There are many different paths you can take, but there's only one road to Atlanta. The high drive deep out to left field. He clubbed it. Brady twisting and turning, looking up and giving up. It's a home run for Danby Swanson. Flair out towards shallow right. That's big trouble. Albies going back. He dives and he makes the catch. What a play, Ozzy Albies. Swanson is headed for three. He'll try for it inside the parker. Relay throw comes toward the plate. He'll score standing, and it's his second inside the park home run of the season. This is your weekly podcast dedicated to the Atlanta Braves farm system. Follow the show on Twitter at Road, the number two, Atlanta. Now, hit the road with your hosts, Eric Cole, Gaurav Vidak, and Garrett Spain. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Road to Atlanta, a podcast devoted solely to the Braves farm system and Braves prospects. I am one of your hosts, Eric Cole. You may recognize me from work over on TalkingChop.com, where I am the deputy site manager and minor league editor. Joining me to talk some top 30 Braves prospect list action is longtime friend uh, and longtime contributor, as well as you know a member of our minor league staff, one Wayne Cavati and D2. Uh, extraordinary at that too. So you've been a busy boy. How are you, Wayne? Oh, great. I, uh, it, it, the, uh, you, you mentioned it. The D2 baseball season starts in a week. Um, you know, so we're coming off the, the extensive work we put in our top 30 prospects. And now I got to roll into the, the new baseball, D2 baseball season. So, uh, you know, unlike uh, you know, the rest of us, uh, at least I get some baseball, um, while everything else is trying to, hopefully come together, which, uh, you know, as we were talking about before the show, doesn't look very promising that it's going to be happening anytime soon. Yeah, unfortunately, Rob Manfred and the owners don't seem to care a whole lot about whether or not the season starts on time. And, you know, I think that there's a fair amount of skepticism as to whether or not Tony Clark and the Players Association can actually bring them to the table uh, with and actually engage in some good faith negotiations because there's certainly been a bit of a history of Tony Clark not really being able to get the owners to move from positions that would benefit them. So we'll see what happens. The, the, you know, we had some terms exchanged today and there wasn't an immediate wanting to set each other on fire reaction to to that proposal from the Players Association. So we'll see what happens. Uh, but hopefully we'll be able to talk about Major League Baseball as well as the minor, what's going on in the minor league season soon. But we still have some things to talk about here, Wayne, because we've been busy. Uh, as is per, I guess, I guess it's, how would I put it? It is traditional. Uh, we, we The dates aren't always the same, uh, but generally around the turn of the year, we put out our preseason top 30 prospect lists, and then we also do a midseason update right around the time. Sometimes it's before the draft, sometimes it's after. I think we're going to try to get into the habit of trying to include those draftees and midseason updates going forward. But our preseason list is a lot of work for us, obviously. Uh, a little bit different this year because we also did our pros- prospect retrospectives to kind of kill, you know, kind of fill the void, if you will, with, you know, the co- lack of content due to the, the current lockout. So we wanted to kind of get a bunch of content on those individual prospects. But we also, so we included that content in addition to some additional information into our prospect rankings this going around. Uh, unfortunately, we only have Wayne and I on this podcast. You know, Matt has had kind of intermittent some, some technical issues, I guess is the best way I know how to describe it. Grav isn't feeling particularly well, you know, sending, you know, kind of good vibes his way. He's getting over not feeling particularly great and is pretty run down. So we decided to give him the night off. And, and unfortunately, we just haven't been able to get in touch with Garrett today. So it's just going to be Wayne and I talking about the podcast, the, the list rather. But all five of us 
did our rankings to kind of come up with the Talking Chop top 30 prospect list. The way the list works is that we all make our own personal rankings. We rank, it does vary a little bit. Some of us rank down to 35. Some in the past have ranked as many as 50. And, you know, but what we try to do from that is we try to make a composite from all those rankings. How we do that is, you know, we'll drop the highest and lowest ranking for each player and kind of that way it kind of eliminates some potential issues with outlier type rankings, dragging guys up or down that maybe doesn't necessarily represent the core of what the staff thinks. And then once we make that composite, we get the write-ups out there and we put it out for you guys for better or for worse. And each and every year I'm always thrilled with what kind of what we come up with because I think we have a different take on prospects, even just amongst ourselves. But more importantly, all of us are so involved and so engrossed with this minor league system on a year-to-year basis that having that many eyes that are that just focused on this one system and coming up with a list is always fascinating to me, but it's also like, I'm always proud of it. Even if we like, look, we're going to be wrong, right, Wayne? I mean, like, it's just something that's going to happen. Like every year I look at my list that I make preseason at midseason and I think, what was I thinking? But you know, overall kind of, what were your thoughts about the list? Like the, the process behind it and kind of what were your thoughts about the general, your overall impressions about what we came up with? I think one of the things that you mentioned that um, I really enjoy about this list is that there are the five of us, right? And, and the five of us, uh, we, we talk, you know, whether in the chat room, wherever it is, we're constantly discussing these guys, like you said. And despite that, we, we don't all agree. You know, you touched on that when you were talking about it just here. We all have different takes on what a prospect is. and what, But in the same sense, none of us are that far off, right? Like, for example, if you take just using one example, I know I was the super high guy on Vaughn Grissom, right? I think I had him at number six. And while you guys don't agree with me that he's that high, it's not like he, you, anyone else had him at 15 or 16, right? It was, it was eight or nine. So even though we have these differences in, um, you know, what makes a prospect better than another prospect, when it's all said and done, we're, we're very similar in our thoughts uh, about about what it takes to make it to the big leagues, right? And, and so we 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 have these variances and we have these differences. And what I think makes it really um, a strong case for our top thirty to the readers is that you have five different voices telling you about these prospects, and you know, and you know, with names like Pache and and Harris and, and Langoliers, all these guys that could be a number one, we sat here and we talked about it. So you're not just getting, we're throwing a dart at a name and going with this. There was, there was real discussion behind it. And, you know, with a guy like Pache, the discussion went on for six months during the season, right? I feel like he was one of the guys we talked about most. So, um, you know, this list, it's a lot of work. Um, it's a lot of fun though. And I think you, you nailed it. It's, it's very rewarding to see how it all comes together because I know, uh, I know how Matt feels about one guy and I feel about the same guy and you feel about, you know, and I know how that is. But when it, when it's all said and done, I think you have this very comprehensive, detailed list of what you really need to know about prospects from guys that we literally sit there and watch every night and, and talk back and forth about that at bat. Did you see that pitch? Did you see that at bat? Garav, can you, can you make a GIF? You know, like it's, it's, there's a a lot of Garav get on the GIF machine. There's a lot of that to be sure. And I think that just brings a little extra, something special to, to our prospect list. And, And like you said, I'm just always very proud of it. Yeah. It's, it's certainly a collaborative effort. And the way, the best way I know how to describe it to readers 
is it's really is best to kind of think of these lists in tiers, not like hard. Like we don't think that number one is a whole lot better than number two, unless we explicitly say this isn't even close. Right. Um, if we, if we're, if like, it's not unanimous or anything like that, don't get too the, and the, 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 the tiers kind of make themselves known. Like we have a kind of a pretty clear top three. Uh, you could maybe extend it a little bit further if you're feeling particularly ambitious, but you know, any of that, that top three, you're, you're not going to get like a strong reaction out of us. If you're like, Hey, I think this guy's number one. Right. But at that point, it just kind of comes down as a certain amount of personal preference. And we're going to talk about the number one, the pick in particular, this go around here in a minute. But if you think about lists like these, particularly from like uh, even the, the national folks, unless they're really clearly like this guy is the best player in the prospect on, the, on this list and it's not close, you will get a lot more enjoyment out of that list if you don't get too hung up on like, well, this guy is one rank above another guy. And I can't believe that you'd think that way because you're an idiot and, you know, having one guy one rank higher or whatever or a couple ranks or anything like that, then you don't know what you're talking about. Because I, it's just the, our list doesn't work that way. For starters, there's five different opinions. And I guarantee you that if that's if that if it's that close, then they were probably flipped on a couple lists. Right. It just kind of comes down to how everything averages out. And more importantly, it's at the end of the day, these are just thought exercises. Like we, we're very fluid with these rankings. Like I am not wedded to any ranking that I made right for going into this, the preseason here at midseason. I'm not like, well, I put this guy at one or I put this guy at four or I put this guy at seven preseason. You know, I kind of feel like I need to put him in that same, same area. I do my absolute best to take the information that I've gathered over the course and, and everyone does that, right? Like we're, we're pretty shameless with wanting to both take a large sample size, but also understanding what our eyes and what our ears are, are telling us. And ultimately that's what we try to do. So again, if, if, if a guy is ranked somewhere that you think is too high or too low right now, check it midseason because if they don't have a good season, they don't turn it or, or they end up lighting up the scoreboard, we're going to know and we'll be, and it will be reflected and just, at the end of the day, it just, you'll get a lot more enjoyment out of it. And at the end of the day, this is kind of just getting an idea of what's in the pipeline, who's coming up, what could, what could be exciting for the Braves going down the line. Because the, it's entirely possible that the best prospect of the, the guy who performs the best in the majors right, you know, from that's on our list right now of the top 30, the guy who performs the best in his career could be outside the top 15, top 20. I could see it happening. Wouldn't, it would not, would not be a crazy notion at all. So. I guess that's what I'm trying to get at, and we'll go ahead and just start this discussion now. Uh, fortunately, we had our vote on for number one. Wayne and I were on di in different camps here, and I'm going to kind of pitch it to you here, Wayne, because the Christian Pache was our number one, number one overall prospect. If you want to get a sense to kind of where Pache, you know, who where the list is, make sure you go to the site to kind of go through and look at all of our rankings to kind of get a better sense for the context of this conversation, because this will make it a little easier to follow. But Wayne, what was your reasoning for putting Christian Pache at one? Because you were one of the folks that did put him there. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, they, they, first of all, it's like you said, right? You could give me the one, two, and three guys, and, and I, I, you know, you you have Michael Harris, and I'm not going to say that's a terrible pick, right? Because Harris is my number two. I don't think there's much separating them, but when it comes down to it, and, and you know, I'm kind of the the curmudgeon of the group, right? I'm the older guy. Uh, I, I'm kind of 
Yeah, old man shouts at clouds. Yep. yep. Yeah, and, and I'm more rooted in the and, and don't get me wrong, analytics are very important, but I'm much more rooted in what I'm watching, right? And for me, my problem, and and you know, I've told you this time and time again, all all of you guys, is that my problem with analytics is that whatever analytic you like most you can counter whatever analytic is given to you, right? So, like, if you like WRC+, plus, you could be like, yeah, what is WOBA was this, right? And and what eventually you what you have to do with those numbers is know how to interpret them. And the thing with Pache, for me, and this was my rationale behind it, was the numbers weren't as important to me as the numbers didn't necessarily have to be um, out of the park, put it that way. But they had to improve throughout the year because what we saw when we were watching was a change in swing, a change in the approach. And when you change a swing, when you change an approach, you are going to have some more strikeouts. And Pache definitely struggled with a, with a more strikeout, a less walk approach. He was a little more aggressive. But the swing and approach also changed throughout the year, and the numbers did improve. Does that mean they were great? By no means were they great, but they did improve. And August was, you know, boom. He came, he, it looked like he figured it out. September kind of came back to earth, right? And then October, he got to go, um, along for the ride, didn't play much. But, um, so my rationale, long story short, is sure, you could, you could take a bunch of the numbers. You could look at the strikeout rate. You could look at, at, at you know, the OPS, whatever number it is you want to pull. And none of them are great, but they are improved. And from, what we've seen with Ozzy Albies, with Austin Riley, he's 23, right? To, for me to drop him um, any lower than three, meaning not one of these three top guys, uh, that's a bit much to me, right? I, I don't think he's outside the top three in the system right now. I still think he's number one because of those changes, of those improvements. He was banged up at the beginning of the year. He's up. He was down. I think when we see a full year of what he could do, hopefully those – that approach that everything sticks this year and we're back to seeing we know what he could do in the field. We're not worried about what he could do in the field. What we're, we want to know is that he could hit a big league baseball, right? And I think that we get to find that out this year. And as I said, you know, on Talking Chop, when, when we went through this, and, and you mentioned it, I'm not sold on this, right? Come midseason, if he comes out of the gate flat, it's a, it's an easy drop for me, right? He's not gonna. It's it's like you said. I'm not I'm not glued to him at number one, and I'm not gonna make this case that he has to stay number one if he comes out and shows us he can't do it. So that's kind of my rationale and why, where I am now and how I wound up with where I am. And it, it was again, it wasn't. It didn't have to ha- be great numbers for me. It had to be much improved from the start of the season, and that's what it was. Yeah, Pache is such a weird case, right? Because on the one hand, the offensive numbers, especially at the, in a small sample at the big league level, weren't good. Uh, but we're also coming off a weird year in 2020 where both it was a COVID year, so like what kind of development happens at an alternate site is debatable. And then when he was added to the Braves postseason roster, he was good. He was good in the postseason. People were excited about him. Then he comes out the gate and really struggles, then gets hurt, makes some adjustments at AAA. We start to see some really positive things in terms of like hitting the ball the other way and driving the ball the other way. What you're looking at with Pache is a couple things. One, the day that he has is that can qualify, he is a gold glove contender in center field. If he's not a con, if that is might be the floor, he might be the best defender in center field 
like full stop right now, right? If he was playing and starting in center field, he's going to get you a lot, a lot of defensive value, which lowers the bar for what you need from him offensively. Combine that with a lot like world-class athleticism. Do I think he's going to be a guy who steals a bunch of bases? No. And I think it's just because he's like, it's not super quick twitch, like get the quick jump and steal second type speed. But when he's underway, he's going to be a guy that's going to be scoring from first when he has no business doing so. You know, easy scoring from second to on singles and things like that. That's the kind of speed he has. And it really helps in center field, obviously, combined with like just good reads off the bat, good route running, things like that. So what does that mean for what, what matters? I think that I love the athleticism. You have to believe a bit in some projecting on him even still. At 23, we have to start wondering when he's going to figure it out. He's still young, but he can't. He can't just be languishing at AAA forever, right? So this is the year where you make a decision as to whether or not he's going to be your center fielder of the future or not, in my mind. The question is his hit tool, and it's an open question because sometimes he's looked, you know, his best numbers were at AA, a place that people don't really hit particularly well, and he hit pretty well. And we know he has raw power. He's a much bigger and stronger dude than people give him credit for, but Maybe the best case scenario for him is a 15 or 20 home run guy, and you need him to be able to get on base, and you need him to be able to hit some, be at least a league average hitter to be your starting center fielder. Even if he's your guy who you're batting seventh or eighth, you need him to at least be reasonably productive there. You don't want a situation where it's like an Ender Inciarte thing, where it's just kind of he's just kind of a black hole down there. So for me, what it comes down to, when we're talking about these three guys is that for me, when you're looking at a prospect, the most important tool that you can have is your hit tool for a position player. And I'm much more confident in Michael Harris in terms of being having that hit tool because in terms of pure, just raw power, Michael Harris probably tops that list. But Langoliers and Pache are not that far behind. How much the, that plays is different because Michael Harris had kind of a weird year where like he hit all of his home runs on the road, but in terms of pure like batting practice power, he might have the best. And in Langoliers case, he did a lot of damage in places like Pensacola. And I think that he hit all his home runs in double A this year, which hey, ha- thrilled for him. But if uh, he's also a guy that has some hit tool questions combined with a position that I think he's great at defensively, but you wonder about the, like the wear and tear on that and the ability to call games. Uh, what I think he's made a lot of improvements there, but that's just a position that's really hard to be good at right out of the gate in terms of the game calling part. I think defensively he's the best. I think he got robbed in terms of the best defend. Like I think the best minor league defender award at catcher went to Adley Reutschman, and I think that that was just incorrect. But you know, in terms of that game calling experience and things like that, that's just a really hard thing to do. Combined with the fact that he does not impress me as a hitter necessarily. Now, I love the upside where he has some home run pop, but he doesn't strike me as a guy that's going to hit for a ton of average when he's up in the major leagues. I don't think he has to to be a very productive player, but when I'm looking at confidence in a position prospect, Michael Harris is a guy who I think he can play center field. I think he can play all three outfield positions. I love the arm. I like how he moves out there. He probably My guess is that he probably falls out a bit and moves to a corner, but that's not a given. I like the hit tool and the upside's there with him too. So that's the decision that I made for that. Whereas in Pache's case, there's reason to have a certain amount of skepticism whether or not he will ever 
have the bat to really kind of be that sort instead of like that eighth or ninth hitter, like can he be better than that? And there's reason for skepticism for that. I still love the athleticism, and it wouldn't shock me at all if he comes out and is and is great next year. I, I w- it, w- it wouldn't surprise me. Just again, in terms of like physical talent, you'll struggle to find anyone as physically talented as Pache is. But he's again, it just he has to work on that hit tool. And I I I had him at number three. I put Shea at number two on my personal list. It's just again because we dropped the high and low ranks, and it's just. It ends up working out where, you know, on this particular question, I was the odd man out on, on on our particular rankings in this particular situation. But I don't feel so strongly about it that, like, if folks want to believe, hey, I, I still believe in the talent. I still think he can figure it out. He has time. And combined with just some of the weirdness that kind of, you know, in terms of being hurt, coming off that COVID year, playing, you know, just playing time, getting things worked out. I have no problems with people buying into that. But for me, I've kind of already made that shift down. But if he get, if he comes flying out of the gates, I think it's likely he'll just not be eligible for the list at midseason because he'll have all those at bats up in the major leagues because he he could be that talented where he ends up uh, eclipsing that sort of that prospect threshold. And again, that's that's fine with me too. You know, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be like mad if he shows up and performs really well. But there's reason for a certain amount of skepticism with Pache. But the number of people who are just like he's nobody, he's nothing. The Braves just need to trade him and get rid of him. I think those place those people are demented. To be, to be blunt, I think that they're absolutely demented to think that he's just never going to be anything and he cannot be anything because we're I don't think there's a full appreciation for kind of the changes he was making what kind of physical talent he is and just looking at what happened in 2021 and just deciding that's who he is so that's kind of where I'm at um and obviously again we we're not wait this it kind of speaks to the fact that amongst us in this tier of players we had different opinions and that's perfectly fine. We're all, we're, 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 thr- we're thrilled to be in a spot where there's multiple opinions because that allows us to kind of give the best information that we know how to our, to our readers and to our listeners. So Wayne, that kind of brings us to our next topic here because I had some troubles at certain spots on this list ranking. Who are the hardest players for you to rank when you were making your list? Uh, it's funny to refer to these guys, uh, in this group, but it, the quote unquote older guys, right? Like the 2018 guys, um, were pretty difficult for me. You know, you, you got, you know, like the 2017, 2018 guys, when you, when you look at the Justin Deans and the Trey Harris's and guys that have just been kind of, it seems like they've been hanging around forever. Um, even, you know, the Tucker Davidsons, you know, that, that, um, injured, not injured, looked great didn't look great and those guys that have been around and and the reason for me was a the 2020 draft class was i think well above expectation every single one of them right for for all of us i would say um and then i guess maybe it was just the excitement of having a big draft right but there was a lot of exciting people in the 2021 draft as well so suddenly you have this new crop and the, these these older guys that have been around a while, you know, like, do you look at a Joey Estes and and judge his potential um, over a Tucker Davidson who we've seen, you know, is pretty much on the cusp, right? And and could be graduated easily by by midseason. And so where where do you put someone with the higher upside as opposed to a guy that's that's kind of just right there, like a Kyle Mullard as well? Um, but really, it was the guys lower down the list, the guys that, uh, like, like I said, the Justin Deans, the Trey Harris's, um, and just in that 
that I, you know, I, I don't like clumping people together, but it, it's kind of those the, where where they fit in the picture, right? Is is Trey Harris really? Um, is he? You know, I was one of the people. I'll, I'll, I'll admit it. Uh, I was one of the people that thought he'd be in Atlanta this year, right? I th- uh, and when I say this year, I mean 2021, not this coming year. I thought he would be a, a serviceable tool in 2021 and um we didn't see that in Mississippi right uh we didn't see a player that was ready for that jump um Justin Dean I I think is still has all the athletic ability in the world but you know he he's blocked behind and hopefully he's in AAA because as you mentioned hopefully um Pache comes out and he's in the big leagues and and we get to see what Justin Dean could do at the ne- at the next level but he has so much athletic ability and so much speed that he can be a potential depth and help, but he keeps kind of just falling down our list despite still producing, right? Um, so I guess that's kind of why those people uh, were hard. And then kind of you just get to this middle of the pack and, and you have the, um, you know, uh, uh, the, the 2020 guys, like I said, and the 2019 guys, and and they're really pushing each other, and it's it's fun to watch right now. Um, so kind of going – here's a question for you, actually, that I think maybe makes these things difficult. You, you kind of just mentioned it, right? You, you, it's very valid to be kind of hesitant on Pache. But as you also mentioned, Langoliers and Harris, they all come with these question marks, right? When I joined the Talking Chop team was about, what, 2018. So we've been spoiled, yep. 2016, 2017. There was always those two guys that we knew were going to make it. Is there that guy on this list now that you're – that there is there the Ronald Acuna? Is there even the Ozzy Albies? Is there the Mike Soraka, right? Is there that guy on this list? And to me, there isn't. And that's why I think, like you're saying, to look at it in tears – it's really all difficult if you if you look at it because there isn't that separation between the elite and then the next level. Um, so my question would be, do you see a guy like that and do you kind of agree with what I'm saying there? So there is not a guy that at this moment is an elite prospect. And like the way I measure that would be like a top 20 prospect in baseball. They just don't have that guy right now. Uh, I am very high on Michael Harris. I think he will be a very productive player at the major league level, whether or not the power plays, if, if, if he's hitting home runs at the rate that he can, then we're having a different conversation. But right now there's, again, that power is going to have to play a little bit more to kind of get more excited. Um, Spencer Strider is a major leaguer. I'm just not, you know, whether or not that's as a starter or a reliever, the fastball is just too good to not make it right. But you're right in the sense that they don't have that kind of like, look, like Ozzy Albies, Ronald Cunha Jr., those are kind of guys are like, you can hang your hat. He is a cornerstone piece of the future. But right now, they don't have that, that piece right now that I'm willing to hang my hat on. Now, in terms of guys that were the hardest to rank, there's two groups. Uh, one is just kind of, I hate to say pitchers in general, but that was kind of the group that I had the, the toughest time with, but particularly ones that have injury issues. I like Tucker Davidson. But we had some questions about him going into the season. He answered some of those and made his debut and looked pretty good. And then he got hurt. I have no real confidence. I mean, I was, I think I had him at like 10, uh, and he was a little bit higher than that on our list. But a guy who has the, that, the dreaded strained forearm, what does he look like the next year? Does he end up 
the injury becoming worse, maybe Tommy John's in the, the books, or is there something else going on that results in him either not being able to have the same level of stuff or ends up being moved to the bullpen? Those are really hard things to project for a guy like Tucker. Uh, another example here is Jared Schuster, who we know was having, was dealing with some injury issues in his draft, like at the alternate site when it's after he was drafted. The velocity's down. With his fastball, what does that mean? He didn't look particularly great at double A. That's a first round pick, but again, we're not dealing with a particularly huge sample size with Schuster. What does that mean for him going forward? Victor Vodnik, kind of the same. It's a similar problem to Tucker, but earlier on in his development. Just can't seem to stay healthy on the field. We love the arm, but is he a reliever? Because if he's a reliever, we have him ranked too high. Uh, and I was lower on Vodnik. I'm kind of in the camp that I think that he's hurt. And that he's more likely to be a reliever, so that shifts him down on my list pretty significantly. But it seems like the Braves are going to continue to try to develop him as a starter. I'm just not sure that that happens. I have no idea how to spend the, – the player that's the weirdest to evaluate is Spencer Schwellenbach for me because this is a guy who barely pitched in college and then had to undergo Tommy John surgery, and the Braves are going to try to convert him, a college guy, into being a starter – while also coming right off of rehab or Tommy John surgery, there's a chance that having Tommy John surgery now actually increases his likelihood of and kind of increases his prognosis because there's guys on our list that have had Tommy John surgery already before. And there's no longer the specter of is his arm going to hold up because they've had to make the repair. And that the success rate on Tommy John surgeries is so much better now that maybe that that's one less concern we have. Now, the conversion to the being a full-time starter is a different thing altogether, and he won't have all the time in the world to figure that out. But the Braves really like him. But where we rank a guy like that who we've not seen pitch as a pro, who hasn't been much anything other than a reliever in college, but we love the arm. Where do you rank a guy like that? And I don't have a great answer to that question. Uh, again, I had him, I had him at like 18, I think, and we have him a little bit higher than that on our list. And I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, it sounds like that they're pretty bullish on what his recovery time is going to be. And they feel like that they had the repair early enough and we're going to see him in 2022 sometime, but we'll see if that's actually what happens. Uh, and the other group, it's again, it's the guys who are towards the bottom of the list. There's just so many guys. It's the relievers. It's the guys who I think are probably at best like bench role type guys. You know, like I understand that I'm the I'm you and I are kind of in the same camp that like we're not as high as like Rob and Matt have been on Makai Backstrom, but I do love the talent. So he's kind of a guy that I kind of have like on the outside looking in at my top 30. But we had enough folks that were ranking him high enough where he kind of snuck in towards the back end of the list, but. Again, in terms of like William Woods, you know, Brooks Wilson, there's so much turnover in relievers that I have like zero confidence in any of those rankings. Like people want uh, every year. This is what happens is that we make our list. The first installment comes out or I guess the honorable mentions and, and the, the list comes out. And there are people who are hung on. This reliever is going to be a major leaguer. How could you possibly not have him on, our, on your list? And the biggest reason is that. There's that, there's always three or four guys that everyone thinks that, or I say a lot of people think that need to be on our list because they're surefire relievers. You have to take that guy over some guy in rookie ball who maybe hits down the road. And at least three of the, three of those guys end up just not being anything in terms of a prospect. And that's just what happens with relievers, right? Now there's other, there's other, you know, guys that are harder to rank in terms of like whether it be reliever risk or whether it be you know, just not having great information on like Ambiores Tavares where we have not seen play. 
we haven't. So we're kind of that's based on a bit on what we've a little bit of what we've heard, but also kind of where he was ranked in terms of his international prospect when he was signed. Uh, he has there was no Dominican summer league, so what has he been doing? I could see him falling up, going up or down any amount, just kind of depending on where he gets placed going into pro ball. I'm guessing that he'll be in rookie ball. Maybe we'll learn something about him there. But beyond that, I mean, like there was there were some guys that were hard to rank, and I don't fault really. I mean, like again, there's probably 40 guys that could be top 30 guys. You could make an argument for them. No, some with some of them that's not the decision that I would make. But towards the bottom of this list, the depth. The lack of depth, I should say, and we'll kind of be talking about this a little bit later. The depth on this list isn't as deep as you would think, and as a result, that makes ranking the guys at the bottom very speculative at best is the best way I know how to describe it. So, again, don't get hung up too much on, like, you know, you see a guy at 28, and then you see a guy that you really like that's not ranked. It, at the bottom of the list, it became very, like, the in terms of voting, the, the point totals were really, like, there was, like, this group of guys that all got top 30 love from some or most of us and it just you know it was a few points here and there that kept put guys on honorable mentions or you know took guys out of the running altogether and it's just there was just enough variance there that made that particularly hard so again to our listeners and to our readers don't get too hung up on that sort of stuff someone has to be at 28 or 27 or 30 or whatever we that's why we make the list but i i wouldn't get too like hot and bothered by it. it doesn't mean we hate a guy if he's not on the list and it doesn't mean we're hopelessly in love with a guy if he's at the towards the bottom of it um, one last question before we go to a break here, Wayne. And uh, who was the biggest surprises uh, from the list for you in terms of like where they ended up being ranked? It, it that's a hard question because we do talk so much, and like you said, this year was a little different, right? We had um, we did those pros, pros, prospect retrospects, so I kind of you were kind of able to gauge the excitement. Like if someone wrote about some such and such, you know, prospect such and such, you kind of could tell the the excitement that we had in the season before we went into this list. Um, one of the guys is definitely Diaz, Indigo Diaz, uh, you know, and it's very much for the reason you said we're not, you know, we've had the AJ Minters, we've had those guys and they've never been on our list before. And, and, and I put him on my list. I did. And, and like you said, it's not something that I'm, uh, accustomed to doing. So I was surprised to see that everyone was kind of on board. Um, and that he, and he ranked so, uh, I say highly, but you know, it's 25th, I believe he was, but that, that's high for a reliever for all of the reasons you just said. Um, and it, it's just with this group of, of people, um, that we've talked about, you know, not, and we haven't had relievers before, it was surprising to see him make the list. And, and in his case, uh, you know, if he catches lightning in the bottle, uh, he is a, He'll be a big leaguer. They'll keep him up in that stint. But like it's like you said, that's so volatile. How long will it last? Um, and then it doesn't. This is gonna. I don't know. I want to make sure I word this correctly. It's not surprising he is at number four after the season he had. But the fact that Spencer Strider is the number four prospect in the Braves <laughs> is, is surprising, right? So you like yes, totally number four. That I believe that's where where I I had him. Myself, and that's where he wound up on our composite. But if we're going back to draft day, there is no way I saw Spencer Strider come out <laughs> and becoming the number four prospect this quickly. And I think you could say it about, you know, uh, Bryce Elder. Jesse Franklin was a guy that got injured the day before opening day of the 2020 season. So not only did he was supposed to come back three months into the season, and of course there was no 2020 college ball baseball season, so he didn't play any college baseball. Didn't get, then he gets drafted, and then sure he went to the alternate site, but again, you know, it, it was the alternate site, 
And then he comes out and he had those two ridiculous months. And granted, he did cool off at the end of the year, but he showed us plenty that he can that he can handle professional pitching. And you know, so we're we're looking at the five guys that uh, I'm sorry, the four guys that got drafted in there, and and, and Strider, Elder, and Franklin are, are are all right there in the top. So um, really, just the 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 instant quick success of that draft class, uh, especially highlighting Strider being a top five prospect. Um, with with all the struggles that they went through and the fact that they even elder right Bryce elder he's a bulldog oh, type we're, we're, we're gonna we're gonna be getting to him because you and I are fighting over that one <laughs> he's he's a bulldog type of guy but he deserves the ranking that he has um so yeah I I would say that the entire 2020 class in a whole highlighted by by Strider and the fact that that we did have that reliever um you know crack the list so those those would be my surprises. So this is the part where Wayne and I fight. I will say that, generally speaking, we are in the same tiers with guys. I think that's fair. We have that, that, and I'm look, kind of looking at the spreadsheet now. We're Like, again, there's a little bit of variance here and there. That's whatever. The one player that... For me personally, I think that our composite ends up quote unquote getting wrong in the sense that I think we might look back and go, that guy should have been higher, or we might go back and the results might not match where we have him on our list is Bryce Elder. Uh, I was the high man on Bryce Elder. I put him at number five. And this is a guy who starts the year double at, at high A. All of us didn't have particularly high expectations for him. Um, again, it's kind of one of those college arms we thought we liked the slider. We thought that he was just going to be a, a guy who has some pitch ability, may not strike out as many guys as we'd like, but would get a bunch of ground balls and pitch well. We wouldn't have been shocked if he made the major leagues. All this guy did was exceed our expectations and make adjustments in every area that we had questions about and pitched his all his way to double to triple A and pitched well everywhere, right? I don't think – I don't see him as the number 10 prospect of the system. I'll just be front. I think we got, I think we have him too low, but this is where the kind of how things get interesting and kind of how we evaluate guys. Generally speaking, we have guys in very similar tiers. That is not what happened with Elder. There was a group that had him significantly higher. And then there's a group that had him significantly lower. Wayne, why do you hate Bryce Elder? Let's go I ahead and get it out there. What was it? Go ahead and get it out there, Wayne. First of all, I definitely don't hate Bryce Elder, and a you know that. I'm sorry, that, Bryce. I'm sorry for Wayne. I apologize. <laughs> you ahead. know that me, you know, particularly in our group when it comes to draft day, I, all I want to see is college players. You know that that's yep. my forte. Yep. So I yep. was excited. You know, we get a pitcher from Texas. You know, I, I'm excited right there. Um, he, I definitely think I, I'm too low on him. You know, looking at it now, I do. But it's kind of what I tried to to explain is that there's just um, there's I don't want to I don't know how to use the word I don't want to say more excitement there's more upside to the to some of the pitchers sure. I I think in front of them but that's not the it's it's like I told you this was you know in our private chat and I and I hold firm to it. Bryce Elder is going to be Randy Wolf, right? Right. We're going to 15 years from now, we're going to be like, wow, that guy's still in the big leagues and he's still winning. And he, he's going to be, he'll have like this probably all-star season at age 35 because that's who he is, right? He's not flashy. 
He he's not, but he's a bulldog, and he just gives you innings, and there's so much value in that. But um, that doesn't mean he's the shiniest car in the, on the lot, right? And I do think he that, that that is a hundred percent true. If, when you're watching him, it's like they're pretty easy games, right? But it's not. He's not blowing but things. But the slider can get some pretty silly swings. But beyond yeah. that, like it's just he just gets the job done. And, and and that being said, I think you I do kind of agree with you in, in retrospect. And I think by midseason, if he comes out like he did, you know, it, uh, last year. Then he'll he'll be the highest riser on on my charts. Probably, I mean, I can't predict that now. There there could be others, but he'd be one of the highest risers on my list with graduations and such. Um, but yeah, I definitely don't hate him, um, and, and I think he has a ton of. <laughs> I'm value. kidding. I'm, I know, I know <laughs> you don't hate. Him. Well, look when when Bryce Elder starts come up, like all of us are paying attention, right? And it's yeah. it's weird when you start thinking about these lists because you have to start thinking a little bit about projection, and you know, like is. Like, is this, how much better will he get? You know what I mean? Because we didn't expect this. We just kind of thought he was just going to be a guy who's like a steady riser, ends up pitching in the big leagues, and he ends up being significantly better than that. Is this really really who he is? And I don't have a great answer to that beyond the, we saw the adjustments. We saw the swing and miss that he was getting, which we did not expect. Like, when he was starting at Rome, those first few starts, is just a bunch of ground balls. You know, pitched, pitched perfectly reasonably. We, no one, there was nothing that we're like, yep, that's Bryce Elder. That's what we thought he was going to be. But then the numbers just kept better and better. And like his sequencing is getting better and better. And as he was going against more advanced hitters, like the results were better and better. So I, 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 I pick a little bit. I, I, what I, I guess what I'm trying to tell our listeners is that, you know, I pick up, I'm picking on Wayne a little bit, but at the same time, this is the guy, this is the type of guy where right now we have him a little like on the top, like at number 10. If he like doesn't make the the club out of spring, which by the way isn't a crazy notion, the biggest problem is that he's not on the forty man roster. But he's already at AAA, so it's not it wouldn't be a crazy notion, especially if he pitched well. That if he that he would make the the big league club early in the season, I would not be shocked if at our midseason update that Bryce Elder is like firmly in the top five. Wouldn't shock me at all. Because he's that kind of guy with that kind of helium in the kind of year he had last year. He's already on our radar. If he just can continue to show that he, like some of these, some of these numbers and what we saw is real and sustainable, he absolutely should have the stock jump. Now at the same time, if he comes out and all of a sudden starts getting shelled as kind of a guy who doesn't have a ton of ups, like quote unquote upside and doesn't have that that electric stuff, he's a guy that we might keep him there. He could move down. That's, that's just, that's just how these things work. And that's kind of what I would try to get at is that there are rankings that I think that we have, we, we look at the composite and all of us are like, eh, I, I kind of wish this guy was a little bit higher, a little bit lower because we feel strongly about our own personal lists, but we're not so wedded that we, like we're, and we're certainly not so arrogant as to say that these guys can't prove us right or wrong at any given moment because that's, you know, half the fun and half the heartbreak of following prospects is that they, 90% of the time we're not right. And that's just how it goes. Uh, there's just, there's so much attrition. Baseball's a really hard game. And predicting who's going to be good at it on a year-to-year basis is really, really super hard. Um, but we're going to talk a little bit more of that, about that. But before that, we're going to take a quick break to listen, listen to a word from our sponsors. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey. 
instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, Wayne. Let's get down. Let's get down to it a little bit more here, because this is a list that has um, a lot of newcomers to it. Uh, the 2020 and the 2021 draft class is pretty heavily represented, um, and we also have some guys who we've been ranking and talking about forever. It just feels like there's a few of these guys. I think we've we've had to have written them up ten times by now, uh, in various forms and fashions. Who are the guys that you see on the top 30? that you think are going to graduate and and or could fall off the list completely when we make our list at midseason? I, I think this is the toughest year we've had to answer that, uh, kind of going back to what we were saying before, that there isn't that guy, right? We're not going into the season with, um, you know, even last year, Pache was, was going to be the start, you know, the, the part of the, the lineup on opening day. And, and, we're not really there yet, you know. Pache has to have a, a strong spring for us to believe that um, that that he could do that. So graduations, man. It, it, it right now for me, I think it, it, it is Pache. I think um, Muller and, and Davidson probably graduate. They probably get enough innings to get off this list by midseason. Um, that's if they stay healthy. You already mentioned injury issues with Tucker Davidson, right? Um, I think those are, are the three that you could um, you, you could hang your hat on, if not by midseason, definitely by by the end of the season, right? Uh, but then there are those guys like um, Strider. If he comes out elder, if those two guys come out and injury hits, they're, they're going to be one of the if the, if they're keeping up with the pace that they showed last year, they're going to be one of the first two called up, you know. Um, but I don't think the graduation list is incredibly high. Uh, we kind of mentioned Indigo Diaz again. If 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 he's striking out people the way that he was striking out people last year, and, and the Braves need the shuttle going back and forth from Gwinnett, and and he's the guy, he may get enough innings by the end of the season. But I, I don't see a large list of of graduates um, falling off. I, I think there's a lot <laughs> that that could go. I mean, and and I could just use my list as an example. It's like you said. Um, in the past, we we give five, maybe six honorable mentions. And I remember when I sent you my list to get it ready, I said, don't think of this as the order of my honorable mentions because it's fluid. I can't decide between these guys, right? They're, they're kind of all on that same level. And I think, you know, for me, even guys that were in our honorable mentions, William Woods, Jared Johnson, the, the, these are make or break years for, for some of these guys. You know, I mentioned Trey Harris before. Trey Harris could definitely... Uh, not be spoken about as a prospect if he can't get out of double A this year, right? Um, so, and I think a lot of the, the newer guys, the 2021 guys, since there is that international, um, class for the first time, you know, there, there was 
I, this is, I don't want to use the word helium, but there was a lot of helium because we were excited about a big draft. Some of these guys like Justin Henry Malloy, you know, like Luke Waddle, Luke Waddle, they, they performed well when they got here. We got excited about them, but you know, they, they have to keep it up. It was a small sample size that we got excited about. And, um, I think that that bottom of that list, you know, Darius Vines loved what he did this year. What happens if he moves up when he, as he continues to move up? Is he, he's kind of that Bryce Elder guy like you were talking about. Is that, is what we saw the real deal or was he riding the hot wave? You know, um, I, I think those, this whole, you know, I want to say, you know, 20 through 30, uh, are interchangeable and can sink down that list. I don't think all of them will fall off, but I think those are where your, your contenders are. And then, you know, Braden Shoemake, like, what do we make of this guy? Is it how? Where does I have no idea. What, is it possible that he falls off the list completely if he? I don't want to use the word, but if he hits like last year, because he didn't hit last year, like right? I, I mean, we saw very little signs of of someone that could hit baseball at the professional level, and I think what we have met around probably fifteen, sixteen area, and, and I think just he's a guy that if. If he's hitting 170 by midseason, is he on my list? I, I I don't know that I could say yes. Um, so I think there's there's a lot of I don't think there's a lot of candidates for graduation, but I think there's a lot of candidates that could not necessarily fall off the list, but certainly you know fall down the list. Uh, I, I think it's a very odd season. Kind of if you write about prospects like we do, it's kind of a fun time because there is a lot of uncertainty as. You know, in the past, we would go into seasons knowing who we wanted to watch and be excited to see them. Now it's like we have no idea what's going to happen, like you just said, you know, and, and I think that adds a little of excitement because we don't know what to expect. And it's like you said, none of us are cemented to the this list. And, you know, watching the first three months of a season, by the time we get ready for midseason prospect list, it's fun. It keeps it interesting and, and trying to figure out what these guys are and, and who's who's for real and who's not. So I think there could be a lot of movement on our midseason list this year. So I think you're right on the names in terms of the most likely. I think Pache is likely to graduate. I think that the next group is – I think one of Kyle Muller or Tucker Davidson will graduate. I don't think both. Um, I think that there's just not enough spots in the rotation to make that happen. Or I'll put it this way. If both of them graduate, then something not great happened at the major league level. If that makes any sense. And I don't want to predict that because I'm wanting good things to happen for the Braves. Uh, but it, it's possible. But I think one of those two graduates. After that, Spencer Strider and Bryce Elder are the next group of – I don't think it's particularly likely. But I think it's possible that they could graduate. Uh, there's an outside shot that Drew Waters both hits a ton and gets a bunch of at-bats. I don't think that's – I think that's even less likely than Elder or Strider. But – you know, again, those are kind of the guys like we're talking about guys who are like on the 40 man roster or in close proximity to the major leagues. Those are kind of the most likely guys to graduate. Um, in terms of guys that would fall, that could fall off, uh, the two things that for me that will make a guy fall off are like injury and particularly injury uncertainty, like the mystery. Like we just haven't seen that guy in three months and no one said anything. That's very rarely a good sign, right? Um, so I could see a guy like Victor Vodnik as an example who has had injury issues the two seasons that he's played, he's had them both seasons. And it's not anything that's like 
you know, wow, his arm fell apart or anything like that, but he's had trouble staying healthy. If you combine that with reliever risk as a guy that if he's in that middle tier that I could see falling way down if he can't stay healthy. Then there's guys like Trey Harris who are getting older. We're already kind of older draft prospects again with Trey Harris had a great year and shot his way out to to double A hitting whenever he made his full season debut, but wasn't particularly good at double A. I could see him falling off the list. And then there's the guys who are like, Day two draft picks like the Cal Conleys, the Luke, Luke Waddell. I think Luke, Luke Waddell is pretty safe, but like the Justin Henry Malloys, the Cal Conleys, those types of guys are the ones that I wonder if we're going to be talking about at midseason as being top 30 guys. Uh, right now, it's just kind of like these are productive hitters, college guys who have a bit of track record. They're relatively easy to slot at the back end of a top 30, but not ones that I feel particularly great about. Uh, I think of that group, I think Waddell is probably the better hitter of all of them. And I feel like he'll be on there, but like got, those are the kinds of guys I look at. And I think that it's, I think one guy that circled for me as a guy that I think we have overranked in the past, uh, and I, we may even have him overranked now is Makai Backstrom with the caveat that I see the bat speed. I see the raw power. I see the physical talent there. I could see him shooting up the list, but I could also see him falling off the list completely. It just depends on what he looks like this year. Had a pretty good pro debut, did not look good this year. Uh, even, you know, the, the, the few balls he did hit out were absolute tanks, but overall wasn't getting the job done. He was drawing a bunch of walks. So what are the Braves working on with him down there in rookie ball? What's going on with him in the offseason? What does he look like going into the season? This is a big season for him in terms of how quickly he could, you know, shoot up a list one or the other. The, the being a first base only guy, there's a lot of pressure on that bat. And if he's not really producing, then I think there's a little bit – there's more of a what could have been uh, after once we look at him this year. Now, if he's hitting a ton and he ends up going into full season ball and performing well, this is an entirely different conversation. But in terms of a really volatile stock, it's Makai. In terms of the guys who, like, I wouldn't be shocked if, like, once we had, like, this year's draft class and maybe, you know, just, a, you know, an accounting for graduations, it's that it's that bottom – it's that bottom – I'd probably you're right. Probably about the bottom third or so of the list is the most likely with the guys who have been around for a long time, almost being or the older guys being the most likely, because at some point we just you can't keep them on a list if they're just, you know, we're thinking about what they were two or three years ago as opposed to what they are now. Um, so those are the kind of guys that I expect that could fall off the list. It's not nothing's nothing's a given, but those are the guys that could be the um the ones that we were maybe are talking about in the honorable mention section or talking about what might have been. Uh, I think there's zero chance that Braden Shoemaker falls out of the top 30, but I'm with you. The one thing I thought that guy could do was hit, and he didn't do that this year. Uh, and I didn't think he was a shortstop, and now I think that he is a shortstop. So, you know, who knows? Maybe he ends up being like a 30 home run guy next year, and I'm wondering what the hell's going on at all. But, you know, he's definitely a guy that he's kind of a really weird one to kind of look at. Um, who? Give me a player on the list that you think could climb into the top 10 that isn't there right now. Because, you know, when we were, th- we made our list last time, Vaughn Grissom was the guy that we thought was going to make the jump, and he definitely did on our list. You know, spoiler alert, Vaughn Grissom was really good and he can hit. Uh, if you know, make sure you get re- or write-ups over on Talking Chop about him. We're big fans. But if you're looking at a guy that's in the top, like not in the top 10 right now, but probably could, has a very good chance of making it at the, by, at the midseason list, who do you think that is? My personal list would be Bryce Elder, and I'm sure you're happy to hear that. But he is number 10 for us. Good so. man. Good, good, good man. <laughs> Uh, some, of, some, of, some of us had faith and put him in top five much quicker, but, <laughs> but I hear you. I hear you. I, and I think a guy, again, I don't think this is a major leap. Uh, we, we had him around a 12-ish or 11, I think, actually. 
But, you know, I kind of, we've, we've been on a couple different shows and we've talked about it. I think Estes, Joey Estes, it's not a matter of jumping in the top 10. I think he jumps into the top five if he pitches anything like he did last year. So yeah, saying, saying the number 11 guy jumps in the top 10 isn't a big stretch, but I, I think he, I, I think he's on the national stage, right? I think we're talking potential top 100 prospect by midseason if he comes, like I said, if he comes out, um, like last year and depending on, again, depending on the graduations, if you, if we get rid of Pache, if we get rid of just one, like you said, like Muller or, or Davidson, I, I think a guy like Jesse Franklin could shoot up there, um, if he, if he has the power. And again, there's just so much, it's really hard to project that this year, um, with that bottom third not being as deep as it in the past. I, again, I don't really see anyone that is going to rock our socks off and become a top 10 prospect there. Um, so it, it, it's tougher than ever before. Ryan, uh, Kusick, if, if he's healthy, you know, he's, he's a guy that could do it. He, he looked okay, you know, um, when, when he pitched last year and there's, there's just so much uncertainty in that bottom third and, and the depth of the system that I don't think, um, I, I don't think that the top 15 is going to shake up that much this year. But like I said, if you're, if, if you're asking about a high riser, I, I, and just not on our list, I think on the national spotlight, I think it's Joey Estes is the guy that, that's going to take, um, prospectors by storm in, in 2022. But, uh, you know, there, there's definitely a few pieces. It's like you said, if, you know what, if, if a guy like, um, Victor Vodnik puts together a healthy season with the stuff that we know he has and the stuff that keeps him where he is on this list, that guy's an incredibly fast riser. But there's so much concern right now that, you know, he hasn't pitched a healthy season in forever that, uh, I think you'd agree that you're more likely on the, the, the wrong end of the spectrum that, that it's just not going to happen. So I, I don't know that there's that guy that I'm just – and that's kind of what I was saying before. That's kind of the excitement of it this year is, you know, is Darius Ryan's going to look like a Cy Young award, award winner again this year and, and climb up the list? Or is he going to just be kind of the guy that he is? Um, so, um, yeah, I'm just going to keep – I'm, I'm just going to keep toting uh, Joey Essies because I'm still the high man on him. And I just – I was just blown away by what he did last year. Yeah, Darius Vines is going to require a fastball that doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't miss bats before we start talking about him being a Cy Young Award winner. But, you know, I, I, I did like what Darius did this year. Um, so I love the SC's pick. We're obviously very high on him. I think we were, I was, we were a bit surprised that he didn't get moved up from Augusta, but in fairness, there has to be a reason to go watch that Augusta team. And that was a pretty brutal team to watch down the stretch. Uh, given how much that, how much that team had been poached of their talent. I do think he's going to be in high A next year and I think he's going to pitch really well. The guy that for me, that has the best chance if he moves up he moves up in a big way is Ryan Cusick now the issue that I think all of us have the the, the question with Cusick is can he be a starter and that comes down to command and that comes down to what the secondaries look like the fastball is 100 miles an hour plus and is incredibly good that is not up for the debate it is one of the best pitches in the system I would argue that Spencer Strider's pitch yeah, uh, fastball is the best pitch in the system, but Ryan Cusick's fastball, you can make an argument for like Jared Schuster's changeup. A couple other guys, you know, have some really good pitches too, so I'm not going to like rehash that too much. But if you're talking about one of the best pitches in the system, Ryan Cusick's fastball is right there. The question is, if he comes out next year and is throwing an average to an above average changeup, 
the breaking ball, he has trouble. He was, he was spiking a bit, uh, when we saw him in pro ball, but there's a lot of movement on it. And I could see him commanding that just a little bit better. That's, that's perfectly reasonable as a starter. If the changeup is just an average changeup, just he has some fade and is a change of pace pitch with that fastball to play off of. If that if that if that's the only thing that changes with him, if he has all those three pitches and he's commanding them reasonably well, he's a top five prospect in the system. Full stop. He just is. Now, there's will that happen? I don't know. But when I interviewed him, he knows full well what he is, his mission in life is and what he needs to to be able to stick as a starter. He knows he needs that third pitch. He knows what he needs to do in command, and he he is certainly an very like data driven and analytically minded pitcher in terms of he's not just a guy that's just like, you know, like I just need a better feel for it. I, you know, it's not, it's not just platitudes and it's not just like, you know, when in doubt, I'll just go to my fastball. What he did in the pros this year is like, he would try out different things as he was working on them. And then when that wasn't working, he would just, you know, crank up a hundred, 101 and just strike out the guy. And, I perfectly, I respect that completely, right? Like, you know, you're just trying to work through things and at the end of the day, he can always lean on that fastball and against low A hitters, they have no shot, I shot against it. He knows he can lean on that, but he's very diligent and understands that that's not going to be the case as he moves up. And I would not be shocked at all that if he has secondaries that are again, just workable, not below average offerings, you, you want them to be at least average or, you know, above average. But he doesn't need to throw Jared Schuster's changeup to be a major league pitcher and a good one. He doesn't need, you know, the wipeout breaking ball. You know, he doesn't need Max Fried's breaking, you know, breaking ball to be a major league pitcher and be a good one. He has a great pitch. What he needs are secondaries that he can pitch off, he can pitch off that fastball with to kind of keep people honest because timing up 100 miles an hour is really tough. And if you have a starter throwing it, you're in for a tough time if he has secondaries, particularly a changeup. And those are the things that he's working on. We'll see if that's what happens. But if he comes out and has, is commanding his secondaries and they look reasonable, he's a top five prospect in the system. Not just top ten, top five. That's for me. Now, I can see Joey Essie's making that same jump. There's all the guys that could make that jump. But for me, it's Cusick. All right, just a couple more questions, Wayne. Um, and this is kind of a general one, and I, we won't linger too long here, but we have an international free agent uh, class that was signed, and we'll talk a little bit about them here in kind of, kind of kind of our closing thoughts here on what we are kind of expecting with the midseason list. But we have some actual inter- international prospects, not just one. We actually have some guys that are being added to the system, and we're going to have a draft class. We're also expecting some graduations. In terms of all of that, combined with what we expect is maybe some progression or lack thereof compared to this list, do you think it's going to be deeper or less deep than it was right now at mid season? Like you, do we think that this class is going, do we think that this farm system is going to be deeper and what we're going to be happy about, or are we kind of expecting this is what's going to state it's going to be for a long time or for a while? I don't know that it's uh, well, first of all, it's like you said, like, you know, hey, we had we had a signing class. I mean, it's it's fun. What was it? Fourteen players. Like it's it's great. You know, to have to have that depth. But as with any uh, international free agency class, I mean, they're so young and and usually they're so far away. 
right? And and to be honest with you, you know, from my perspective, I don't have any intel on them, right? I, I don't have those kind of connections that I'm in the Dominican or or wherever um they, they were. We get signed. It together, get 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 it together, Wayne. You've already got the D two D two connections. I need right. to start making some calls to Venezuela and start right. talking to some talk to some of these handlers so we can yeah. figure out some of these guys when they're twelve or thirteen. Yeah, you know, and I, I got to get better at that. But uh, you know, like, <laughs> you, you, like ranking Tavares for me, for example, you know, the the one guy that they did have last year, um, I didn't know what to do with him going into this season because how do I move him from where he was? Right? Like we we yep. we we, we yep. read all the information, we have all the intel that was available to us, but we still haven't seen it. So how do you move? You're still excited about that guy, so how do you move him up or down the ladder? And and obviously, I think um, Benitez and, and Glad are, are going to definitely add uh, be top thirty guys by the time we we get to the midseason. I hope, right? I mean, we got they're, they're definitely two exciting guys that were highly ranked wherever you looked. That you know, Baseball America, whoever ranked um, international free agent classes, they both were were highly ranked. They they both cost a little bit of money. They both have really good hit tools. So you would expect them to to move up the top thirty and, and move some of these players that we had question marks down. Um, College baseball, the the draft is a, a little iffier this year. It's not as strong as in years past. It's not bad by any means, but it's not as strong. And you know, it's a the the recent draft strategy by the Braves has been an obvious shift from prep and high school guys to, to college. Um, I think that is the case uh, a lot of times with. I, I don't know that the Braves went, you know. The, with rebuilding teams, the way that any rebuilding team, right? You draft young guys to to pitch while you're waiting to get there, and then when you're there, and those young guys are now in the big leagues, you need to draft guys that are more ready to help you out to win, right? And and that so that that shift in strategy came. So you wonder where the Braves, if this is just the way that this current regime is and it's going to stay college heavy or if now because the Braves kind of have this that they're going to start rebuilding the depth because there's no two ways around it the Braves need that depth right the the the, the depth of years past is no longer there um part of that is just what happened to the minor leagues right we only have four teams now um and and there's less players and, and that just came was part of the territory um so it'll be interesting to see what they do with that draft um I don't think Put it this way, I don't think it could be any less depth than that is there. I think everything that is added can only help. Um, so I'm I'm excited to to learn more, especially about the two top guys that we signed, and I think that they'll definitely they'll readjust uh, the way that we look at the top thirty for sure. And, and same with um, Tavares. I think if if we get a little more intel, we get a little more what whatever he's working on in rookie ball or wherever it is, uh, I think he could be a, a pretty quick climber based on what we know about him. But again, it's just, it's a wait and see and, and find out more that, uh, about the unknowns that we don't know. So here's my read on the system right now and what I see going forward. I think that the list that we have right now, regardless of who you have as your preferred top, you know, the, the bottom 10 guys, if you have uh, 10 completely different guys. It doesn't really matter for me. It's that this is the shallowest the list is going to be for a long time. And the reason I say that is that we're going to be further away from a 2020 draft where there's only five rounds. 
I feel confident in saying that the draft is going to because we don't there's not as many affiliates and all that other stuff that we're going to see 20 round drafts for the foreseeable future. I could see that being true. And you combine that with the Braves participating in the international free agent market and actually being active participants in it. What's wild to me is if you look at this international free agent class, right? It's that what, and again, I'm kind of going back on memory here is that there was certainly a lean towards position players, but there was a pretty healthy representation of pitchers too. The Braves signed 14 players in this international free agent class so far. I, they're pretty close to maxed out in terms of how much of their pool they've used. Of those 14 players, only four are pitchers. That means they have 10 guys and there's guys that mean, I mean, Diego Benitez is the headliner. He got $2.5 million, you know, top 10 player based on whatever you look at in the entire market altogether. You know, does he stick it short? Does he stick it third? Does he end up in the outfield, second base, whatever? We're not even close to having those conversations yet because these are kids at the end of the day. And more importantly, a lot of people haven't even seen these guys do much of anything for a while because travel restrictions are just so tough getting in and out of Venezuela, you know, with COVID and all this other stuff. So we're far away from projecting kind of how good, you know, how good could he be? Douglas Glaude, the outfielder, more of a physically, he's probably a little bit more physically maxed out in terms of like, we don't see him going another six inches or anything like that, but as a track record of hit, hitting, you know, he got paid over a million dollars. I suspect that if we were to do our re-rankings right now, including those two guys, Benitez would be somewhere in the teens. Glaude would be somewhere in that, that, you know, that 22 to 26 range. I would, again, just kind of spitballing. That's right. My hunch is that where you would end up. Beyond that, we know nothing about the rest of the class. I will just, full disclosure, there's always, we know the signing bonuses. That's pretty much it. Don't, do guys, that the Braves signed to, you know, like, like, I think it was Alexander Martinez that got like $400,000. There are guys that got over $100,000. What do those guys turn into? And we won't know that for a while. They seem like they've signed enough guys. And maybe if they signed up to those $10,000 type guys that don't count against their pools, they'll actually be participants in the Dominican Summer League. So we can kind of get a sense as to what they look like against actual real people. Those are all important considerations. I'm really curious as to kind of how this goes because this is a really heavy position player class and that's where you can get your depth. The Braves are good at finding pitchers. They can find useful arms, especially in the later rounds of the draft guys who can be productive. It's what these position players do. And I think that there's only a risk of upside with this group because I think that they'll consistently with the draft, it seems like what Dana Brown's strategy is is to kind of really lean on college performers, take some chances on day two, specifically on day two, with a couple overslot guys, their prep bats as kind of projects. You know, that's what Tyler Collins was. Or in the you know, for pitchers, you look at AJ Smith Shaver, who's you know again a really high ceiling arm that is raw. Uh, and Adam Shoemaker is another example. Those are taking a, like spending going overslot, spending a little bit of money and getting those kind of not the marquee prep guys. I don't see them in like the first round picking a prep arm or a prep bat, unless it's someone that has no business being where they're picking at the bottom of the first. They're just not, that's not where they're playing. They want guys who are going to be ready to contribute sooner rather than laser on those day one picks, but they're going to continually get those guys. And those are continually going to be guys. Maybe they won't be immediately top 10 prospects in a system when they're picking them, but they'll be in that mix. And you combine that with finally being able to infuse Real position player talent, especially position players, 
from the international free market and being pretty good about the guys that they are making, placing their bets on as prep guys from day two. This is, I think, right now, they may not have the top end. This is where it gets a little tricky because I think the system will be deeper. It's much harder to project them to have like, you know, seven or eight top 100 prospects because they're not, they're not playing at that end of the pool in the draft. They're just not. And they have to kind of get lucky. In the case of Michael Harris, they get a kid, they get a kid who turns into something when no one was, you know, he, he is a first round talent that they didn't pay first round price for, right? So, you know, the, those are the types of things that have to happen and those are just somewhat less likely. But I will say that now that they're playing in the international free agent market, it's far more likely. And, you know, if you're looking at the list of guys who could be top 100 prospects in a couple of years, Diego Benitez is on that list. It might not happen because they're kids. You know, there's been plenty of, you know, of the guys, there's plenty of guys who've made a bunch of money in the international free agent market that have turned into nothing, but there's also a lot of those guys who have turned into the best prospects in baseball. So he's in that conversation, but. You know, I think that that upside is a little bit harder to, to foresee, but in terms of depth, in terms of real talent, right now is quote unquote the worst it's going to be in terms of that depth. So, well, Wayne, that's pretty much all I've got. Uh, do you have anything else you want to share with our listeners before we close things out? Uh, I, I do want to, you know, <laughs> I just listening to everything that you said, I, I don't think, you know, the previous regime with with some of the names that were drafted and everything, there were and signed out of free international free agency. I think they get a lot of credit, but uh, you know, I really like what they've done with these. The current regime has done with with the last few drafts, and I think you know that you you broke it down perfectly with the gambles that they're taking. They're not. They're almost like mitigated risks, right? They're they are gambles, but but they're 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 good ones. Um, and I just. You know, listening to what everything that you were just saying, it just made me realize how much that I do like the last few draft classes. And, and, you know, I definitely, like I said, I don't think it could be any, um, the lack of depth can't be any worse than it is now. And I think they are trending in the right direction. But like you said, there is going to be work because of where they draft. But, um, definitely, definitely kudos to, to the way that the last few drafts have, have wound out and, and got us some of these prospects to talk about. Yeah, I mean, I w- and I certainly don't want to characterize them as completely risk averse, right? Because I mean, like, there's like things about Braden Shoemaker's profile that, you know, was he a first rounder? There's a lot. There's you know, if you look at track record from the SEC, but at the same time, like, he doesn't like automatically strike you as like, is he going to be like, you know, someone that you want to spend a first round pick on? Um, you know, Bo Phillip was obviously that 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 pick hasn't really worked out. And then you look at some of the pitchers. You know, you could you could quibble as to kind of who they should have picked, and no one can convince me that this year's draft class with Ryan Cusick, who, again, there's real reliever risk, but high reward, and Spencer Schwellenbach as a pitcher, that's a risky pick. I don't want to characterize them as risk-averse, but they certainly seem to be wanting to go towards guys who, if if they're going to contribute, it's not going to be five years from now. You know what I mean? So it's not even a risk thing or it's like an upside problem. It's a, you know, they want the... Of the guys who have high upside, the ones they're looking at are the ones that are in college, right? And, you know, but I, I tend to agree. I'm, I've, I find myself liking those draft classes. The, the 2020 draft class in a five round draft the, the, with four picks, they, I don't think they could have picked better for, you know, it, it's, it's strange to me that of those four players that Jared Schuster might be the worst. I'll put it that way. And Jared Schuster is a really good player. Uh, so yeah. he's a, he's a, he's a real prospect. Uh, that changeup is quite good. So, 
thanks again to Wayne for joining me to talk about prospects uh, for yet again. Uh, and uh, this was this list was a lot of work, so I do want to take a moment to first thank all of our writers, not just Wayne, but Garrett, Garav, Matt. They work so hard every single time to get these lists out to you guys. I appreciate each and any one of them. I wish I took t- more time to tell them how much I appreciate them. Uh, just a phenomenal amount of work. And I also want to thank our readers. Uh, I've been making these lists for a long time and, you know, the support that we get on them and just the overall, just there's people who have been writing, reading stuff, reading lists that I've been a part of for years and years now. And it continues to blow my mind that people have been following us along for that long. And I just want to take a moment to thank our readers for all that support. It allows us to do what we do. Um, it's a lot of hard work and if people weren't reading it, we wouldn't do it. Uh, we would, we might still be in the same group chats yelling about, about guys, but you might not be reading about it and just that, that support we get and just what the minor league coverage has done for Talking Chop over the years and the support that you guys have given it over the years has done more than you could possibly know for the site and for us. So just thanks to each and every one of you. As for when the next road to Atlanta is going to be, we'll take a, we're, going to, we're probably going to take a beat just to kind of breathe a little bit and kind of figure out what's going on both with the CBA as well as to kind of get life in order because between those prospect retrospectives as well as the prospect list, we've been very, very busy boys. But we'll try our best to kind of get back into the swing of things. And once we start getting to know things about rosters and potential movement, on um, you know, you know, in terms of who's going to be where and you know who could possibly be breaking camp and things like that, we'll have some more news for you. But until then, thank you all so much. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. If you don't want to miss a single episode of Road to Atlanta, make sure you subscribe to the Talking Shop podcast feed on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever your preferred podcast purveyor is. We are listed on it, and if we're not, let us know, and we'll make sure we get put on there. Not only will you get this podcast, you'll also get the flagship Talking Chop podcast hosted by the great Rad Roland. Uh, I have been chipping in. I chip in here and there from time to time on that show, uh, as well as the Daily Hammer hosted by Sean Coleman, who's been a great addition to the podcast app. He's been doing a great job with the kind of those sort of more regular, either during the season it's daily updates, shorter shows. Uh, during the off season, it's been more a little less frequent because we just hadn't had a whole lot to talk about. But he's been doing a great job with that podcast. And if you subscribe to the Talking Chop podcast feed, you get all three of those podcasts for exactly zero dollars. Thank you again so much, everyone. We appreciate all the support. We're looking forward to talking more minor league baseball down the line. Until next time, we'll see you on the road.